Good morning, everybody. We uh, were continuing to talk about the persecuted church. And, uh, you know, persecution is as real today as it was for the early church. And people are imprisoned and they're being beaten and ostracized and killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And here we are this morning and, and we're free. I mean, because of our veterans, we have the ability to come to this place and, and worship freely. And we don't have to meet in underground secret places, but there are those around the world who do. They have to meet in secret and they have to meet underground and meet in silence. And there are people who suffer these things. And I want to remind you this morning that these are our brothers and our sisters. And because they're our brothers and sisters, we ought to pray. And we ought to pray for them. We ought to be concerned about what's going on in their own lives. Because that is the least that we can do. Uh, this morning, I'd like you to, to welcome Dr. Reza this morning. And uh, Dr. Eza is from Nigeria, as most of you know, and most of you know him and see him as our, uh, the chairman of our, our, um, our deacon board. And, and Dr. Eza is, is such a good friend, and, you know, I consider Doc uh, like my older brother, and, uh, and so we're, we're blessed to have him this morning. Uh, Doc, would you, would you just tell us a little bit about... Nigeria and and maybe where you came from and just just your life growing up in Nigeria. Thanks, Pastor Rani, and uh, good morning, church. Um, as I was born in Nigeria, I was born in um, a city called Enugu um, in the eastern part of Nigeria. It used to be the capital of the eastern province, and um, uh, so most of southeastern Nigeria are Christians. So I grew up a Christian. And uh, when you grew up, what was, what was your home church like? Well, um, I was a Catholic, um, and I uh, hope nobody holds that against me. Um, so I grew up a Catholic, and um, most of the people in my town were Catholics. Um, the church was basically running everything. If you were not a member of the Catholic church, you were pretty much not a member of the community. And so, um, it was only about 20 years ago that uh, the Pentecostalism came and became very strong. I mean, it was there, but there were just very few people who were Pentecostal. So, most people were just Catholics, and the Catholics were running everything. And, and so, maybe tell us just really briefly, like, what was your first encounter with the Holy Spirit? What was your first encounter with Jesus? Yeah, um, I think I've shared this before in this church. Um, my, my cousin Mary was the first to be saved in the family, and it was a very difficult time for her because we felt that she had lost her way. You know, when she left the Catholic Church to become a, a Pentecostal, we thought she lost her way. So, Those Pentecostals um, are crazy. <laughs> yes, because they're always clapping and <laughs> jumping and dancing. And why are you dancing in church? There's something wrong with that, right? So, um, and uh, unfortunately, I was one of the people who uh, attacked her for, for being a Pentecostal, and, and we made fun of her, I made fun of her pastors, and, and everybody like that, and um, it wasn't until I, I went to, um, to grad school, I was actually in Canada, and uh, 
a friend of mine who'd been asking me to come to church and, you know, I, I wouldn't go, uh, invited me to um, a full gospel businessmen's fellowship. Um, and I went because I thought it was about business. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I thought yeah. I'd meet other businessmen there and <laughs> it, would be, it would benefit me. And I went there, and it was, uh, it was a fellowship. And uh, right there and there, I was convicted with the Holy Spirit. And, um, and that was the day I really surrendered my life to Christ. And um, the rest is history. That's awesome. Um, so why don't you just take a little time right now and tell us what's happening in Nigeria. Maybe talk a little bit about the history of, of the violence that's happening there, the difference between the North and the South, and and if you just have any specific stories about what is happening in Nigeria. Right. Thanks, Pastor. So I'm really um, glad that I have this opportunity to share this because we don't usually have an opportunity like this where we can actually, where people who know about what's really going on can actually talk about it. Uh, Nigeria is a very complex country. Um, and it is it's just insane the amount of violence that we witness uh, in Nigeria on a daily basis. Um, a long time ago, um, the northern and southern uh, provinces of Nigeria were brought together as one to, to form the country. Um, and since then, because the north is predominantly Muslim and all of the south pretty much uh, were Christians, there was always friction. But it wasn't until um, what they call the First Republic it was in, the, in the 1960s, uh, actually, it started about 1955 or thereabouts when there really was so much persecution of Christians in the South that it led to what um, was considered the first civil war in the country. Um, and there were people who just felt that they couldn't continue to live under the bondage of the Northerners, that they felt that they had to go. So they declared... Um, a secession, a province called Biafra, and said they were going to free themselves of all the tyranny and suppression. And that led to a bloody civil war, and a million people died, mostly Christians. One million people died, mostly Christians, and mostly children and women. It was the first time in the history of the world when hunger was used as an instrument of war. So basically what was happening was uh, because uh, Nigeria had so much oil and the northerners controlled the oil, they were able to make alliances with the West, including the United States, unfortunately. So the British and the United States were supplying the, uh, the uh, northern Nigerian government with arms and weapons to fight uh, the Christians in the south. And it got to a point where the Christians weren't giving up, and they decided that the only way to stop them was to block any type of food or relief materials going down to the south. And so they basically starved millions of people, um, well, hundreds of thousands of people, but and, and when it was all done on both sides, a million people had lost their lives. Um, more than 90% of, of those were Christians in the, in the south. Um, so fast forward, this was back in 1960, uh, 1957 to 60 was the war. Fast forward um, a little bit. After that, um, because of the loss of the war, obviously the Christians and, and the Igbo, mostly Igbo Christians, 
um, they lost everything. I mean, if you had houses in the north, they were gone. You know, you can't go back to that. If you had, you know, properties anywhere in the country, you lost that. Um, so they started regrouping and praying and, and working hard to get back to where they were. Uh, but they had lost so much grounds. Uh, the military had taken over uh, everything. And more than 90% of the officers in the military were from the north, and they were all uh, Muslims. So then the next agenda started, which was basically to Islamize Nigeria. So we have 90 million Christians in Nigeria, and maybe about 90 million Muslims, and yet they wanted Nigeria to become an Islamic nation, to be ruled under Sharia law. So basically, think about it. Half of the country is Christian, but you want Sharia law to prevail in all over Nigeria. So it's been like that since then. That's the history. Um, but it's gotten worse uh, recently. You saw the video um, that, that was just shown. That is child's play compared to what is happening today in Nigeria. So, so that's a little bit about the history. Do you have, like when we think, when we, a lot of us when we think Nigeria, we, we, we kind of funnel ourselves to Boko Haram. Like that's the only thing we know. That's the only thing, thing we think of. Um, some of the readings that I've done, uh, especially this past week, it says that um, the government is eradicating Boko Haram, but there's still problems. So, so what are some of the things that are happening right now? So, so there are three major threats to, to Christians in Nigeria. Um, the first one is definitely Boko Haram. Uh, for those who have not heard of Boko Haram, it actually means Western uh, education is evil. That's, that's the, what the term means. Western education is evil. Um, and yet they use radios and all kinds of things produced in the West to, to, to uh, further their agenda. It is one of the deadliest um, terrorist groups in the world. And, you know, people know about ISIS because ISIS affects this, the West. Boko Haram operates mostly in Africa, especially in Nigeria, northern Nigeria. Um, so, so that's the biggest threat. That's, that's number one threat. The second one is what they call the, the, the herdsmen. So these are really um, a group of um, um, Muslim uh, cattle realists who go about the entire country with their cattle and rampage um, everybody's farmlands. Um, they rape women uh, randomly. They basically, they could walk into your farmland where you are farming looking for livelihood for your children and rape you and kill you there. And the third one, and, and, and this is where it gets a little hairy, is really the government. And the reason I say that the government is, is the third biggest threat to Nigeria is that the government does nothing about Boko Haram and about the cattle uh, herdsmen. As a matter of fact, because the majority of the people in government, uh, you know, House of Fulani, Muslims as well, they basically not only turn a blind eye, they actually supply them with the weapons that they are using to attack innocent Christians. Um, those who have been arrested were, were, were found to have police-issued um, guns, uh, AK-47s, army-issued guns. That's what they were operating with. And the government cannot say that they're not aware of that. And then recently, uh, as, as recently as um, uh, a few weeks ago, um, there were a group of Christians, mostly Igbo Christians, who were 
basically protesting what was going on and saying, this can't continue to happen. The government needs to do something about it. So they went on the street. They were carrying placards. They were not armed in any way. Um, and the government basically rounded them up uh, and drowned them. Basically took them down to the stream and drowned them in muddy water. Um, the video is circulating everywhere. We're going to show, I showed this to Pastor Rennie. It's not a very good video, and it's very graphic, and we can't really you know, be, be showing it. But, but that's what's happening to Christians in Nigeria. Um, last year, uh, we had a demonstration here at Boston Common. Pastor Selwyn and Laurie actually came and a few other people. Um, 58 people in the village who were just asleep, you know, you know were, were in, their, uh, in their homes sleeping and were invaded. By, by these Muslims, and all 58 of them were killed, and the village was sacked. And the gov- not till this date, it's been over a year, till this date, not a single person has been arrested or prosecuted for, or prosecuted for that. Yeah, this is crazy. Um, Doc shared the, the video with me uh, yesterday, the day before, and um, I was doing some other searches, and y- you almost can't show anything because it's so graphic, um, what's happening in Nigeria. So I remember uh, Doc and I were, were talking about this uh, maybe about a month, a month and a half ago, um, even with, with Boko Haram. Like some of you may have remembered that Boko Haram um, kidnapped all of those girls. And um, there was a big social media thing, bring back our girls and, and all this stuff. And maybe a month later, I talked to Doc and I'm like, so what happened? Because we don't hear anything. We don't even know what's going on. I mean, why doesn't the international community know what's happening in Nigeria? Like, why don't we see this on CNN? Why don't we see this on ABC News? Why isn't in the Boston Globe or the Times or any of this? Yeah, so I, that's a very good question. And we've always wondered that ourselves. The only thing I can think of is to say, because of the complexity of Nigeria, it is easy to mistake the violence there for ethnic violence. And so sometimes... Uh, people in the West will look at it and go, oh, this is just another uh, tribe or tribal war or ethnic group fighting against the other ethnic groups. What people don't understand is that Christians are being targeted all over the world, all, all over Nigeria. Um, in northern Nigeria, we have, we have 90 million Christians in Nigeria, but the statistics show that more Christians, more Christians have lost their lives because of their faith in northern Nigeria than the entire world combined. Oh my gosh. Just in northern Nigeria. Churches are burnt. Like people would be in a church like this and they'll set fire to the church and block the exits and burn the people to death. And in, it's just, um, and Boko Haram keeps bombing uh, Christians and targeting businesses that are owned by Christians. So people don't realize that this is really, um, this is a, you know, Muslims fighting against Christians. But when you go and look at it critically, when you look at the, the, um, the Christians in the north um, and the Muslims in the south, you find that the Muslims are very well protected. So this is definitely a targeting of the Christians. The only Christians that are able to survive up there are those who are somehow friends with the Fulani uh, Muslims. Um, there are some good uh, people there who have actually shielded some of these Christians when they've been attacked. Because once in a while, basically what they do is the youth, the Muslim youth will get up and start rampaging homes and looking for Christians and dragging them out and killing them. 
And so you've had Muslims, you know, hide some of these Christians from time to time um, and to try to protect them from what's going on. So, so when the West hears this, what they hear is, oh, it's, it's ethnic violence. And so it doesn't gain as much traction as, as it should. Everybody should be concerned, regardless of what is ethnic violence or not. You know, it should be a concern to everybody. But somehow, um, I don't know if it's because of the past history of the war or what, but the, the, the West turns a blind eye to it. So uh, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what the state of the church is now in Nigeria? I think that's the good news. I think the good news is that in spite of the atrocities that have been visited on the Christians, the Christians are still waxing strong. Um, cry, you know, Christians are springing up everywhere. As a matter of fact, um, I would say that even in the north, Christians are gaining ground. And there are still people who are converting to Christianity, even at the risk of their lives. Um, because um, there are so many stories of, of young girls who go out to college and they become Christians and they come home and, they, and parents actually kill them. Their own parents will kill them uh, or will disown them and push them out where they will be gang raped and killed in the streets. Um, so it's, it's happening a lot, but the Christians are still holding their grounds. Uh, we are not hearing instances of Christians converting to, Muslim, uh, to, to Islam because yeah. of the persecution, yeah. which tells us that you know, the Christians are holding their grounds. And there are churches springing up everywhere, and there's prayer um, meetings uh, happening everywhere. Um, so... From that perspective, I think that I would say that the Lord is definitely doing his work there, and, and Christians are holding their ground. That's awesome. Um, with all of what's happening in Nigeria, uh, maybe you could share a little bit about what have you learned about persecution and the character of God? I mean, this is your people. This is your, your country. Um, what have you learned about persecution and the character of God? Yeah, it, it, it's unbelievable when... Uh, when I think about what is happening in Nigeria, um, as, as a community leader, I am um, very privy to all of the things that are going on because I, I do talk to people in government and all that. The one thing that stands out is every day that I wake up, I am grateful. I am grateful that I live in a country where I don't have to worry about, you know, saying I'm a Christian. Um, I don't have to worry about, you know, sneaking into church and because somebody will stop me uh, on the way and chop my hands off. Um, so from that perspective, I, you know, it, it's just a wonderful thing to, to be in a place like this. But one thing I've also learned is that you know, the, the fact that we're Christians doesn't really shield us um, from what is happening out there in the world. Uh, sometimes God allows some of these things to happen, um, and, and they do happen. So we, ha we as Christians have learned a lot that our hope only comes from God. We can only depend on him. We have learned not to count on the government, not to count on any individual, but to keep our trust and our focus and our hope on God. That's right. Um, last question for you. How can the church, how can Glad Tidings help those who are being persecuted in Nigeria? Uh, prayer. Prayer. I, I, I believe firmly that... Um, Prayer works. Um, that, is the, that is the biggest weapon that we have as Christians. It's not, it's not the AK-47. It is prayer. Um, and so if people can just lift the, the people in Nigeria up uh, in prayer, one of our prayer points as a Christian community is that God will touch the hearts of those in government. Um, it is not 
You know, God can do that. He can, he can change the president of Nigeria uh, and turn him to a Christian just like that if he That's wants right. to do that. So if people can just join us in praying um, for the people in Nigeria, praying for the government of Nigeria to come to know Christ. Um, you know, you, last week, Pastor Rennie, you preached um, about uh, Stephen uh, being stoned. And sometimes when I think about it, I, I, I'm, I'm just amazed at the courage that, that, that Stephen had filled with the Holy Spirit to continue to speak with the Word of God and not go back even in the face of death. That is happening every day. It is happening every day in Nigeria. And if people would just pray that people who are there are filled with the Holy Spirit and just like Stephen, that they would withstand the persecution and continue to serve God and continue to keep their focus on God. Um, it is amazing, you know, um, where, where Acts, Acts uh, chapter 8, 1 says that Saul was there and he watched and he allowed them. He did nothing. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but Saul turned out to be Paul and went ahead to become the strongest weapon that God used right. to free a whole host of people. Those people in leadership in Nigeria who are supervising what's going on, who are watching what's going on and allowing it to, to continue, God can turn them around and they can become like Paul. They can come to know the scriptures. And can you imagine what would happen yeah. if the president of Nigeria, if the leader of Boko Haram yeah. were to one day become a Christian and what he can accomplish for Christ, right. for, for the kingdom? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, Saul, um, who's the greatest persecutor of Christians ends up becoming this powerful defender of every Christian who's there, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, we don't, we don't understand why God allows suffering and why God allows pain and why God even allows these atrocities. But in, in first Corinthians one twenty seven, it says the Lord uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And he chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And even though Christians in Nigeria aren't taking arms against um, their persecutors, sometimes it, it feels like some of these people are acting like a doormat. But in the book of Acts, you, you kind of get that picture a little bit where right after Stephen is killed, what you, Luke says is that the believers in that area, they scattered. And some people can read that. You can overlook what's really happening because it almost seems like they scatter in fear or they cowardly run away as though they're cowards. And really what Luke is saying is he uses this term scatter as though seeds are being scattered. And there's a saying that, um, uh, that says it's the blood of the martyr that's the seed of the church. Uh, this morning, would you give uh, Doc a round of applause today? Thank you for sharing with us this morning. Um, you know, I'm going to ask the worship team if you guys would come up. Today's uh, the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And it wouldn't make sense for us to talk about these stories and learn about these stories without spending some time in prayer. 
In fact, Jesus says, he says, listen, my house will be a house of prayer. And I want to remind you that when God's people pray, things begin to happen. Do you believe that this morning? That when God's people pray, things begin to happen. Miracles begin to happen. Hearts begin to soften and lives can be changed. And so for the next few moments that we have, we're going to pray. And we're going to pray for those who are being persecuted. Because we are one body. And because we are one body, those who are hurting, they are our brothers. And they are our sisters. And scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, it says, Remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And remember those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And so this morning, we're going to spend some time praying for those who are in prison because of their stand for Jesus. And we need to pray for their soon release. And we're going to pray for strength and courage to continue to stand for Jesus. Would you stand with us this morning? And would you just, with your eyes closed, would you just begin to pray? Would you begin to pray out loud? There's something that happens when we begin to to pray out loud where we affirm what we believe and what we stand for and what we're saying. And it helps us to focus on who we're praying to and what we're praying about. So let's do that right now. We're going to pray for those in prison. They need to be released. Let's pray for that right now. Would you lift up your voices here in this place? Let's trust God that he's going to answer those who are in prison because they stand up for who Jesus is. And let's pray for strength and courage to continue to stand for Jesus for those who are in prison right now. Let's do that right now. Let's lift up your voices here in this place. Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come and do something strong.